Jonah chapter 2 is a bit of a break from the mostly narrative uh, nature of the book. And it, it talks of a time, I think, when Jonah's life flashed before his eyes, but he was given another shot at life. The, the movement begins, if you remember, in chapter 1, verse 15. The uh, sailors on the MV Tarshish work out that Jonah's the problem. They throw him into the sea. And here we have this Jewish prophet at the mercy of the, the waves uh, going to a watery grave. But the movement ends in chapter 2, verse 10, with the same Jonah on dry land, we're told. And we're going to think this morning a little bit about what happened in between times. Not so much what happened to Jonah, because that's uh, probably understood, even in the earliest uh, primary or Sunday school experiences. But what happened in Jonah uh, during uh, this time? One wee thing to notice before we jump into Jonah 2. Everything that's going on here is God's doing. Flick back with me, chapter 1, verse 4. We're told there that the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and a violent storm arose. Chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Both the storm and the fish are God's. He provides them both. It's not a case that a bad thing happened to Jonah and God rescued him. No, it's more than that. The movement from start to finish is God's. God's storm, God's fish. He's orchestrating all of this in order to, to act and interact with his prophet. Why would God deal with a person in that way? Why would God send the storm? Why would he have Jonah within an inch of his life? Well, it seems to me, and what I think we'll notice together this morning, is that God's working for Jonah's restoration. He's keen to bring this disobedient prophet back into company with him, back to a place where he's uh, hearing and obeying his word. We're going to notice here this morning, and this will give you a structure if you're trying to follow uh, the train of thought or even taking notes um, two, two movements of repentance and three areas of renewal we're going to notice. Two movements of repentance first. First movement, Jonah returns to God's presence. And that's a huge first step. I, I need to show you from the, the text why that's a big deal in the book of Jonah. Flick back again, chapter 1, verse 3. Jonah isn't just going to Nineveh. He's running away from God. That's what we're told. Later in the same verse, it's emphasized he's going to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Verse 10, it's implied that whenever people ask him, Jonah, where are you going? What are you doing? He's already told the sailors, I'm going to Tarshish, but I know what I'm doing. I'm getting away from God. But the storm and the fish, they've had their intended effect. Because in chapter 2, Jonah's a different man already. 
He's running towards God. Verse 2, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Verse 4, I was banished from your sight. Yet again, I'll look towards your holy temple. Verse 7, my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Folks, I'm going to guess that a whole lot of us here this morning are running away from God. Why would I guess that? Well, because of my experience of my own life, of significant periods and regular occurrences of running away from God. So we have our Nineveh, the place we're supposed to be, the life we're called to, And we have our Tarshish. And in many cases, we've left the Nineveh call behind and we're What I think we see here today is God's heart to bring us back. Oh, love that will not let me go. God's about this work of bringing us back. Won't always be as dramatic as the story of Jonah. But every bit is intentional. And we pray it'll be effective. God wants us back. Jonah's first movement, returning to God's presence. His second movement, returning to God's word. Again, the text makes this very explicit for us. Uh, Notice, flick back to the verse 1 of chapter 1. Couldn't be more explicit. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. He hears God's word and he says, no way. I'm going to do something else. And if you jump ahead to chapter 3, verse 1. The narrator uses the same construction pretty much. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, but this time we're told in verse 3 that he obeyed the word of the Lord. Chapter 1, hears the word of the Lord, runs the other direction. Chapter 3, hears the word of the Lord and does what God calls him to do. So God calls us not just back to his presence, but back to his word. He calls us to obey the things that he has invited us to do. And that's going to mean a different thing for for different ones of us. For some of us who have been maybe careless, just haven't even been paying attention to God's call, we have ended up flying down the road to Tarshish. And we maybe haven't even thought about it. But we need to return to God's word. Some of us are are very different because we have deliberately, we're very clear about what we should be doing. And we're very clear about what we're doing that 
that is outside of God's will for us, but do you know what? We're, we're just going to go straight ahead and do it anyway. There's willful sin in our lives, anger, lust, whatever, and we're refusing to repent of it. Sometimes I encounter people who believe that you can have one thing without the other. You can return to God's presence without returning to God's word. You can seek a, a, an experience, a spirituality that, that is, is not to do with obedience and, and Christian character. For Jonah, it's both. He returns to God's presence and he's returning to God's word. So God has sent this storm and this fish uh, to arrest this disobedient prophet and to bring him back. We've seen Jonah actually responding to, to God's, God's work in his life. The, in chapter 2, though, we, we get to see some of the effects of this on Jonah. Three places of renewal, and I want to flag those up just for a moment this morning. He, he discovers a new compassion, a new commitment, and a new sense of God. Whenever we turn away from God, as, as Jonah did, we inevitably lose perspective on our relationships. Our relating to other people uh, goes awry. Remember Jonah from chapter 1. He's invited to go to Nineveh, which he knows is a huge city where a lot of people don't know God. He's invited to go and preach to them, and he doesn't want to because he doesn't care for the people of Nineveh. But something's happened now. Because he's experienced God's compassion himself, I think we'll see the first stirrings of some sort of compassion in Jonah. Jonah used to see himself as somebody who stood above these pagans. They needed God's grace and God's mercy, but he didn't, and he wasn't going to pass it on to them. But it feels now like he, he stands beside them. He recognizes that he's a recipient of God's grace and mercy alongside these other guys. Look at verse 8. We can see a new sense of this compassion that's welling up in him. You see it there? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. It's like Jonah's finally grown a heart. He, he cares that these people are missing out on God's grace that could be theirs. They're no longer a pagan enemy for him to, to hate, but uh, people whom he feels prompted to go and share God's grace with. I wonder... Are we experiencing this change of heart yet? Or do we still have the old Jonah heart? The old Jonah heart says something like this. It says something like, yes, I'm grateful to God for his grace. I'm glad that he found me, that I got to be part of a, a Christian family or a good church or somewhere where I encountered Jesus Christ. But, I mean, it kind of makes sense that I'd be in a place like this. I mean, I'm just one of those people who's a bit more wired for that kind of, of living, that moral 
upright kind of way of life. Just a little bit more deserving than some of the guys in my workplace or the guys I meet at the school gate. They don't have much to do with God. Actually, if you, you know, couldn't talk about what goes on in some of their lives. Life with God and me makes sense because that's just the kind of person I am. But I'm not so sure about them. That's the old Jonah heart speaking. Not yet transformed by the grace of God. Sees it as them and us. Me and them. Hasn't yet come to see how much it cost God to to rescue me. How much grace he's extended to me. It imagines that I'm more deserving somehow than the others. God's grace in Jonah brings around a second renewal, a renewed commitment. Look at, look at verse 9. See him there saying, what I have vowed, I'll make good. I'm going to do what I promised to do. At some point in his life, he's made a promise to God, and we're not sure when that was. Whether it was way back when he was living as a faithful prophet, and he said, Lord, I'll always do what you call me to do. Or whether it was um, as he was going down in the waves, A dying man's deal with God. Lots of people do that. Lord, if you rescue me, I'll, you know, in his case, Lord, if you rescue me, I'll do what you say and I'll go to Nineveh. Whenever it was he made his promise, he's renewing that commitment. He says, God's been good to me. Although I've rebelled against him, he's rescued me. And now I'm going to come through on my promise. What I vowed, I'll make good. Tell me this, as we read this Jonah story these weeks, is there any part of you at this point in your life that identifies with this bedraggled Jewish prophet? What I mean is, was there a time when you were younger when you were doing the stuff that God called you to do. You know that God had reached you in Jesus Christ. You know that he'd called you into his service. And nothing could have stopped you from doing it. That's all you wanted. Was to live for and to honor God. And now it doesn't, it's not like that anymore. Something's happened. We might say that life has happened. Getting that job, getting married, having children, taking on all sorts of other responsibilities, living through all sorts of disappointments. All of that has now happened. And it's not as simple anymore as it was back then where there was once a raging fire of commitment to Jesus Christ, we wonder if there are any embers left under the ash. Is it time for a recommitment? Now? Today? For you? For me? Is this the time?
this commitment, this new commitment might be different. Because life is more complicated. I find life is much more complicated for me at 43 than it was when I was 23. All those things I've already mentioned, the things that I carry, juggle, I'm stretched by. It's more complicated, but maybe it's the richer for it. All those people I get to connect with, have some responsibility for. Maybe those are better understood as as God's gifts to me. Opportunities to share my, my life and the message of Jesus. Folks, I'm becoming more convinced that it's possible to live faithfully for Jesus Christ in every phase of life. The commitment will be different. We're not trying to get back to then. But we can live faithfully now. Perhaps today is that day to to repent and recommit. There's a third renewal in God's dealings with Jonah. Seems to have produced in his life. Um, Salvation comes from our God. He says in verse 9. Now that's not an unusual thing for a a prophet to say. God is interested in saving people. But up until now, if if I'm honest, Jonah doesn't feel like a guy who believes that message anymore. He feels more like a guy who says, yes, God spoke to my fathers. Um, Yes, God has saved his people. Salvation is the kind of thing that a Jewish prophet like me gets to carry and dispense or to withhold as he chooses. But I think there's a shift here. I think the penny's dropping with him. Salvation's way, way bigger than that, Jonah. It's not something that you get to carry or dispense. Jonah, remember the prophet Elisha. What does his name mean? His name means God saves. For us, living in the times that we do, We look to Jesus Christ, whose very name means God saves. When God comes among us, he comes as a savior. And he comes for the whole world. Salvation belongs to, comes from, flows from our God. Jonah is starting to see it all again. That's what's prompting him to go at the start of chapter 3 and make his way to Nineveh. God's got brought Jonah back to his presence and he's brought him back to his word. He's renewed him with a, a new compassion, a new commitment, and a new, a new vision of God and his salvation. So it seems to me that the, for the time being anyway, the storm and the fish, these vehicles of God's grace, have been effective. I wonder, I've tried to draw us into this story a wee bit today, tried to align our possible running from God, our need for repentance with that of Jonah. Jonah. 
And I suppose the thing that strikes me as I, I move away from this chapter is just the lengths that God went to to bring Jonah back. It, it feels like God would do anything, whatever it would cost Jonah to bring him back, whatever it would cost God to bring him back. And of course, since the days of Jonah, we know that to be true. God stops at no lengths to bring wandering lost sheep back. He doesn't stop even at the the length of giving his son. The one thing, the one person he loves most and he gives him to bring us back. Folks, I wonder if we have any grasp this morning of how desperate God is to, to reach us, to turn us around, to have us moving back to him and to renew us. Maybe this disobedient Jewish prophet can act as an invitation for each one of us. God's welcoming us back to him.